0: Well, hey everyone, welcome to the Restoring Home podcast. My name is Lisa Welter and I'm your host. And today I have the honor and privilege of introducing you to a friend and colleague of mine, Rachel Kennedy. Rachel has a nonprofit advocating for women and children leaving domestic violence. And Rachel has been a part of our Restoring Home Cooperative now for gosh, it's been almost a year, Rachel, and so much has happened. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice and to see you. We're on Zoom here for those that are just listening to us. Rachel, I have had just the privilege of sitting down having coffee with you a couple of times. And we've talked about this passion and love that you have serving those that have experienced domestic violence. And it's been so cool to watch your journey of being and still leading a nonprofit working in this uh, arena. But now, engaging restorative family mediation with families that are experiencing intimate partner violence or domestic violence, I would love if you'd be willing to share your story with our audience and share how did you come to this place? Because this is a very unique spot to fill mm-hmm. and a huge need.
1: Excuse me. Yeah, it is. Um So just really briefly, I have domestic abuse in my past um and after i got out of that with a lot of support of course people started coming to me and saying hey my sister my neighbor whoever is going through domestic abuse can you talk to her sure um that was many years ago and so from that uh, is where my nonprofit started and then um one thing <clears throat> that we began to figure out through our own experiences my own and then the people that i do the dv work with Uh, through our own experiences and that of our clients is a lot of people in the professional world, specifically lawyers and therapists, don't really understand the dynamics of domestic abuse and um, what type of power play they're dealing with and manipulation and that type of stuff. Um, And I wanted to figure out how I could make a difference in that. And so I I actually originally went back to grad school to become a therapist, um, which I really enjoyed. But then while I was in grad school, I came across your training, Lisa, to become a mediator. And I had always been fascinated by mediation in large part because I went through it several times during my very long divorce. And it was a really difficult, scary process. And I just was like, I bet I probably can Treat families a little bit better than that. Make this a little bit more of a kind process. Um, and my plan was to to begin mediation part time and still continue with grad school to become a therapist. But um, after not very long, like just a few weeks, um, I actually ended up dropping out of grad school to pursue mediation full time. So that's how I got to the mediation space in the first place. Um, and then. I was kind of floundering a little bit trying to figure out what am I going to do with this kind of what's my niche. And I do like a lot of things and I'm, I'm kind of focusing on a few different things, but like you alluded to, we had coffee. Um, and I just kind of was like, I don't know really which direction to take this and DV has been my passion. And so throughout the course of that coffee meeting a few months ago, um, we came up with the idea to to try to create a program where we could mediate DV situations. Um, and I don't know, do you want me to keep going or do you want me to stop with kind of how we got to this point? Go for it, go for it, keep going, you're on a roll. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so we pulled together a team and um, I developed a training based on several different things. Um, The training that I use for my volunteers for my nonprofit, the work of uh, Bill Eddy, who is really well known for mediating high conflict situations, uh, the work of Stephen Hart, who specializes in intimate partner violence. Um, I kind of mashed a bunch of those things together and came up with a training. So we've got a really, really great team now of um, six mediators, including myself, who are trained in DV and I would say almost all of them have some sort of history, either personally or professionally or, you know, like already had some DV experience. And we've got um, on our team, we've got a therapist, a lawyer, a DV, or I'm sorry, a divorce coach, um, and then myself and a few others, just a really broad range of experiences that we bring to the table, which is really cool, too. Um and it's been interesting because, um, it's kind of common knowledge. I was actually talking to a lawyer friend a couple of weeks ago, telling her about our team. And at first she kind of was like, well, I don't really let my divorce clients go into mediation. That's a bad deal with DV and, or the DV divorce clients. And I was like, I know, because I've been there myself and the standard way that they do it is really problematic but, we believe that our team has really addressed those issues to be able to make it a safe, equitable, compassionate place for all involved to come to those resolutions that they need, whether it's, you know regarding kids', house, all the different things um, that we're dealing with, either in a divorce or a you know post decree or those types of family issues. So.
0: I just love this. I think it's so powerful, Rachel, what you're doing. And, you know, I also have domestic violence in my history and, you know, I think you have done so much personal work to <laughs> think through like, how does this, how did this impact me? What did this experience feel like working through the courts and seeing how the adversarial process can actually exacerbate matters mm-hmm. rather than deescalate and kind of helping people come to a resolve in a different way. Same here. And I just think it's so cool that you're showing up in this space, honoring both parties, mm-hmm. and respecting, you know, the two unique individuals that are coming into the mix, ensuring that there's safety for all of us. But I think I had heard this uh, quote, as I've been I'm working through some of my dissertation work, and I landed on uh, a a description of intimate partner violence as the inability to partner or the failure to partner. And wow. I was like, wow, that is a really nice way to kind of couch what has happened. And then for us as meat eaters to create space for now, what do we do mm-hmm. with this failure to partner with one another so that we can move on with our lives? So talk about what is that, actually look like as someone picks up the phone and gives you a call, what are the steps that you take and how have you thought about making that a safe environment for folks? Yeah.
1: um, there. That's kind of a multi-step process. Um, I talk to them. I ask them some questions. We have an intake that we work through um, and we kind of try to get a feel for uh, what level of stuff we're dealing with um is there any imminent danger physical danger particularly obviously we recognize the emotional abuse and the financial abuse and different things like that but what we're concerned with specifically in mediation is is there a physical risk to meeting in the same space and if so we can meet online and actually um we have, the lawyer on our team has done a lot of work uh, in training all of us regarding the different types of restraining orders and the, the DANKOs, the HROs, the OFPs, and if those are in place, we need to see that paperwork. Um, we need to read what that says and see if it specifically mentions that they are able to mediate. and. If it either says that they are not able to mediate or if it doesn't address it, then we have a protocol for going back to the lawyers or the judge or whoever is the appropriate party in that particular situation to say, can we mediate? These are the safety protocols we have in place. Um, if we do it in person, we have, we have the options of different rooms um, coming and going at different times, that type of stuff. Uh, obviously we also have the option to do it online Um, another safety, uh, I don't know, safety protocol or something that we have in place is that there will always be two mediators. Um, and we believe that will help to, uh, balance the power dynamic, I think, just to kind of make sure that both parties are feeling heard and listened to, um, and to try to decrease any chance that one of us could you know kind of accidentally uh sway one way or the other just to kind of help the power and the neutrality and all that stuff with with having two mediators in the room at all times um Yeah. I love that. that. I I don't know if I
0: told you this like a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, a referral that came into me. And so both Rachel and I both do mediation actively for those that are listening. And I spend most of my time in child welfare. And occasionally I bump into a domestic violence case. And so I I stumbled into a situation in uh, outstate Minnesota, and it seemed like it was going to be pretty straightforward. It was a child welfare case. And lo and behold, there was a Danko and there was a marital dissolution happening at the same time. And so there was this kind of crisis moment. Um, Both parents had been using substances. And so they were both showing up pretty frazzled and ticked with each other. And we had this Danko or harassment restraining order in place. And so they couldn't physically be present with one another. And, And I was thinking about you and your team thinking like, Okay, well, let's see how this goes because I will probably be pulling in Rachel here in a moment. <laughs> and the fascinating thing was they both said they wanted to do their mediation by phone and they couldn't speak to each other. And so I bounced between the two of them. I set up recurring meetings for two weeks and we met over uh, custody was their their issue related to their child welfare case. And I was pleasantly surprised to see the two of them come to a 50/50 agreement. Okay. It was incredible to watch how this process when you really are creating that safe environment and it's built on values, we can get to the heart of matters more quickly than you realize and it's such a distinctly different feeling than what traditional mediation feels like. And so, you know, I had that one kind of lone ranger experience just recently and uh, had I known I was starting this out this way, you would have been my lady to college. <laughs> you would have gotten it done even more quickly. And yeah. um, it turned out fine. But I just think there's, for those that are listening, there's a space for you or for your friend who's walking through a very difficult situation and also honoring the partner who is causing or contributing, right? Like we can get ourselves stuck into these dynamics Sometimes it's both people playing a role into this or contributing, right? Sometimes it's one. But I love how you're thinking about this, Rachel, and how you've trained and equipped uh, your team to do this. Talk about what your dream is with this uh, particular area. This is a tough one. And uh, it takes a lot out of you to do this. Type <laughs> of
1: work, but what's your dream yeah. in your That's practice? a really good question. Um, I would say... I, I mean, technically in life, all we know is our own life experience. Right. And so I look back at my experience and I see how difficult it was. And I've been apart from my ex-husband for many years now, and it's been pretty difficult for a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say my dream in moving forward with this is to try to help other families not go through what we went through. Mm -hmm. And I remember even those very first days sitting in your training. And I just was overwhelmed with this feeling of, oh my goodness, if we had had access to these types of tools back when we separated nine years ago, like, is there a possibility our entire (laughs) four-year divorce process and our co-parenting since then could have been different I don't know I can't go back and change things but it really just makes me wonder like this is such a kind and respectful Mm -hmm. process and I really wonder if that could have been different for our family and so that's my goal going forward is to provide a different experience for other families Um, and I would say longer term, actually, what I would like to do is to train other groups of mediators to have, uh, groups like this, even in other parts of the country and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I worked really hard on putting together that training for our team. And I would love to be able to see other groups of mediators in other States, uh, use some of these same practices and help, help some of those other families elsewhere in the country too. Oh my gosh, I love that. I think, yes,
0: yes. <laughs> I think you need to get the show on the road here. I think. That's you
1: know.
0: <laughs> I think I yeah. You're right. I think, you know, me too, I've had this shared experience in the courts and I've wondered um, could it have been different? Would it have been less expensive? Because it turned into who's going to win
1: mm-hmm.
0: and who's not going to lose. And I think this environment is so different. What do yep. you do when people say, restorative family mediation. I'm not trying to restore this
1: marriage. I mean, <laughs> you hear that? And then what do you say? Yeah. I, I actually usually had that one off. I really usually have people say that to me. Cause I usually like jump ahead of that train and I'm like, okay, so here's the thing. Like when I see restorative, I'm not saying you can't get divorced. You can totally get divorced. I know that's why you're here. What we're trying to do is restore peace, restore order. And what I tell people I would say always, well, maybe not almost always, but for sure, when there's minor kids involved, mm-hmm. this is not the end of this relationship. This is just a new chapter of this yeah. relationship. And yeah. so what can we restore? I mean, because I, my youngest kid was three and I know your kids were really little when you separated too. It's like, there's a lot of years of co-parenting left. You're not getting rid of this person. Like you're mm-hmm. still going to have to figure out how to raise your kids together, Um So we're trying to just restore whatever, whatever we can to make this a peaceful experience. Honestly, especially for the kids, when there are kids involved, I, I always bring it back to like, it doesn't really matter that much what mom wants or what dad wants, like what's best for the kids here. Let's focus on that and let's, you know, restore what we can for them. Um, That's beautiful.
0: In the cases that you have been working through, what are you seeing as um, kind of the highlights of restorative family mediation? As you share with those that are listening to us, what are you seeing as the highlights as you work with families?
1: Um, Um, I just like that it's really like gentle, and I'm not gonna lie. There's for sure yelling. There's for sure tears. Like. People are not really happy to be getting divorced. Um, or even I have another case that's a, a paternity case where they were a couple and that they weren't married, but they were a couple, they got pregnant and then they broke up and now they're trying to figure out what do we do, you know, when baby's born parenting time and all that. And it was like, it was pretty difficult. The first session <clears throat> I walked out of there, like, oh dear, we just spent two hours and we don't even know, like. Who's visiting when during the baby's like first month of life, what are we going to do with this case? And then we, we came back together a couple of weeks later and we worked through so many things and like, they Mm -hmm. really had the opportunity to think through process things from our previous meeting. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. we got through 1% of the stuff in the first meeting and the other like 99% of the stuff in the second. I was like, I don't know how that just happened, but it was, it was pretty magical, honestly, to watch that happen. Um, I can totally yeah. relate
0: with what you say. There is a sense of like magic or what I'm noticing when people come back to the table, there's been a process of healing taking place yeah, within the process that we're um, offering to families. And so talk about that. There is, I think I see a strong element of healing taking place. What have you mm-hmm. noticed?
1: The the same, honestly, actually, I don't think I told you this, but I had a meeting yesterday with the same lawyer that I've been talking about who's in my office. Um, And she's, she's a pretty typical, like she works collaboratively a little bit, but she, her background is in typical litigation. And she also is divorced and has a messy divorce and stuff. And we were talking about this yesterday about just the whole process is, um, I, I kind of came up on the fly, but I was like, I was like my office, whether it's in my office or online, I want it to like, I don't want it to be, you know, gouge each other's eyeballs out when at any cost, like you're walking into my office and you're grabbing a cup of coffee and you're grabbing a cookie. And I have a nice comfy couch in my office and plants. And like, I want this to be like just a really comfortable space. Um, And I kind of was like, so basically it's like respect, autonomy and cookies. That's what you're going to find when you come into my (laughs) office. (laughs) She, she was the one who like a few weeks ago, she's like, you know, we don't mediate in DV cases. And then once I kind of explained, this is what we're doing. This is how the process works. She was like, oh, and she's like, I have some people I need to connect you with. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, was like, I was like, that's great. That's great. Because like it, I think this process that we're using is so countercultural when you look at the typical family court process. Yeah. And I think once we start explaining it, even to lawyers who have built their career with the adversarial divorces. Mm-hmm. Um, And she has pretty significant DV experience uh, with her divorce cases and stuff too. So she knows what she's talking about. And at first she's like, we can't do that. Mediators don't know how to do that. And I was like, but hold on, let me explain to you how we work. Like we have training in DV and we also have cookies and cozy blankets. And like, we're trying to just be this really comfortable homey place. And she's like, Oh, actually that's really cool. I'm like, I know. <laughs> it is. It's so cool. It's yeah. so fun to listen to how that
0: like connects for mm-hmm. traditional lawyers and you know, I as I've been studying and reflecting and as I was building the restorative family mediation training, my my background is in leadership and what I've concluded with 150 hearings in court personally is we have a leadership problem. <laughs> yes. We have a leadership problem in the in the system because if we don't know how to de-escalate that emotional process that is happening in the midst of conflict. It's only going to exacerbate the lack of leadership in that household that's struggling to resolve their conflict. And, and I just think that there is so much power by creating a serendipitous moment. We, you know, this is what we've talked about, Rachel, that when people experience serendipity in an unexpected moment the opportunity for transformation to take place is significantly higher than when they're stressed to the max. And so if you put in a couple that is going through the weeds of a domestic violence, you know, situation and a divorce process into the courts, they're in fight or flight mode only in survival. You place them into the context where there are cookies and soft lighting and a safe place to to kind of work through like what are their goals and their dreams this is a totally different experience but I think what's really powerful Rachel is we are providing that differentiated leadership so that they have the opportunity to change their narrative we're Mm -hmm. holding the space and reflecting back to them how they can live their lives and oftentimes people say yes and step into it and they change their lives which is really powerful so there's nothing like super crazy here it's just creating more of the serendipity that they need yep. and oh, inviting yeah. them to change the dynamics if they want to because they have to do the work we can't do that right but we can create the yeah. and some spaces so beautiful yeah. work i want to hear from you so yeah. at restoring home which is a cooperative of the catalasso group we have about 30 mediators that are working together they're all trained in this process actually it's closer to 40. Rachel has a specific team dedicated to domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and has this uh, unique attribute where two meat eaters are assigned to a case. And what I think is really powerful about our work is we are um, exponentially less than what the competition looks like out there. And that's on purpose. Number one, we don't wanna break the bank for people. And number two, we want that value to be uh, worthwhile to our clients and so Rachel talk about what that means because I would imagine as our listeners are hearing like two mediators that's probably going to be a lot but it really isn't when we think about the typical cost of mediation here in the Twin Cities and beyond talk about that if you want to and how people can get a hold of you
1: yeah yeah um we we actually will be having some referrals coming through. Uh, like shelters and and different DV organizations. So for people listening, if you're in that situation, um, we can talk to the people at the shelter. You can, we can um, see if we can work that out. But we also do have um, private pay fees too. And they are, like Lisa was saying, less than what you're going to find for one mediator um, most places. And we're we're pretty proud of that because... Mm-hmm. Lisa and I have both been through very long, very expensive processes and, um, we want to support families the best we can. Um, and yeah, you can, you can email me. I think Lisa will probably put my email address mm-hmm. in the show notes, um, mm-hmm. but it's Rachel K at the catalasso com. Uh, Lisa will share that and we can get you set up and we can do, uh, intakes and find out if this is the right situation for you. Yeah. And so for yeah. those listening,
0: you can go to the backslash domestic violence and see the team that Rachel has put together. There's some FAQs if you want to learn a little bit more, but there's also um a, a button that you can directly email Rachel and get a hold of her and set up that initial call to see is this the right fit for you. Um, what other supports might she be thinking about for your circumstance and then getting you connected to the right, uh, the duo mediator team to get started. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a privilege to have you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's great to chat as
0: always. I know. Absolutely. Well, we will bring you back to the show and hear how things are going maybe this summer um, and do another update if that's okay with you. I would love that. All right. Well, for those that are listening, stay tuned for our next episode. Please check out thecatalassogroup.com backslash domestic violence. Until next time, friends, take care.